Hello and welcome to this Owl Explains Hootenanny, our podcast series where you can wise up on blockchain and Web3 as we talk to the people seeking to build a better internet. Owl Explains is powered by Avalabs, a blockchain software company and participant in the Avalanche ecosystem. My name is Silvia Sanchez, project manager of Owl Explains, and with that, I'll hand it over to today's amazing speakers. Hello, this is Owl Explains. We are recording our second podcast, uh, and we're very excited about this uh, new uh, sort of narrative that we're trying to build here with the podcast. I have here with me today Commissioner Mersinger. Thank you so much, Commissioner, for being with me today. Uh, we would like to start with some simple questions, and we're uh, very excited to uh, jump on in the narrative about what we're doing with our, our, uh, our Owl Explainer also to proceed with some other uh, questions about the CFTC's role. Commissioner Mersinger, uh, you joined the CFTC, if I'm not mistaken, March of last year. Can you tell us a little bit more what it means to be a commissioner at the CFTC and what is the organization mission and how does the CFTC role as market regulator impacts the digital assets markets? Yes, thank you, um, and happy to be on All I'll Explains, um, especially because it is kind of my one-year anniversary as a commissioner. I was sworn in on March 30th of 2022, so I've had a full year under my belt, um, and hopefully that uh, has, has given me some insight into you know, the various, uh, what's going on in the markets and also kind of where we see um, regulation um, and and legislation going in some of the spaces that, that your listeners are interested in. Um, I do always have to start with a standard disclaimer that the views I share today are my own and they do not reflect the views of the um, entire commission or my fellow commissioners. So with that, I will explain a little bit about the commission. Um, we're a five-member bipartisan commission. Um, all five commissioners are appointed by the president and um, confirmed by the United States Senate. We have staggering terms, um, each five-year terms that, that um, they, they expire at different times so that we have some continuity. The chairman is always a member of the party of the president. So um, Chairman Benham, our current chairman, is um, a, a member of the, of the president's party. And the commission is, is always three to two, three um, commissioners from the party of the president and two minority commissioners. And I'm one of two minority commissioners. But what's interesting about our work is it's very, um, it's not partisan work. We, as regulators in the markets we regulate, it's really not a, a partisan um, commission or the work we do is, is really not partisan, um, which is great. So we work very closely. Um, we're an independent agency. Uh, and really, our, our regulatory remit is um, regulating the futures and derivatives markets. And these are really just secondary forward-looking markets that are mostly used for price discovery and risk management and, and hedging by a lot of institutional um, players, large businesses, banks, um, and some other, you know, 
people who are looking to hedge risks that they have in their business. Um, and our mission is, you know, to, to quote it, it's to promote the integrity, resilience, and the vibrancy of the U.S. derivatives markets through sound regulation. Um, our governing statute, which is the Commodity Exchange Act, actually has a list of some other purposes um, or goals that they set out, including, you know, deterring and preventing manipulation and market disruptions, um, ensuring financial integrity, protecting um, market participants. Um, and one that I quote most often is that we were directed through our statute to promote responsible innovation and fair competition among markets and market participants. So I think that is really an important goal that was put into our statute you know, back when we started in, in the 70s. And it, it, so it's kind of the foundation of our agency and one that I, I always say, you know, we can't lose sight of. We really need to always have that in the back of our mind with whatever we are, we are doing um, or whatever we're thinking about. And, you know, with respect to digital assets, you know, we're kind of involved in two ways. Um, first, we're the market regulator over trading facilities, clearinghouses, and market professionals that are trading in uh, derivatives on digital assets. So these are like futures contracts on Bitcoin, Ether. Um, it's, it's like any futures contract on some of, uh, you know, we have a lot of physical commodities where there's also future con contracts as well. And really, we just need to make sure that, that those secondary markets um, are operating free of manipulation, um, that they, the price discovery or the pricing that, that is um, resulting from these markets reflects the underlying um, spot market uh, and just make sure everyone follows the rules. Uh, kind of a secondary role um, through the enforcement. The Congress gave us um, additional enforcement authority in the Dodd-Frank Act to go after fraud and manipulation in commodity markets. So what that means is uh, when a digital asset is considered a commodity, we have special enforcement authority where if we find fraud and manipulation in those markets, we can bring charges um, for that fraud and manipulation. Now, there is, you know, kind of this, the, the unfortunate side of that is that's after the fraud and manipulation has occurred. So by the time we're stepping in with enforcement, something bad has probably happened. There's been some bad behavior. People may have lost money and, you know, we'll do our best to try to catch the bad actors and recover as much funds as of the funds as we can. But again, it's, it's not a forward looking regulatory role. It really is an after the fact, after something bad has happened role. So that's kind of, that's a lot. <laughs> um, it's more of overview and, and what Super our agency helpful. is about, but I uh, just want to give you that background. No, super, super helpful, Commissioner Mersinger. And I think this probably is a perfect segue into our next question because the CFTC's ability to, to police the digital assets markets has been called into question yes. by some members of the Congress, and I'm sure you're very much aware of that and others. Could you, could you speak a little bit more on uh, how the CFTC's role in supervising this complex, actually, financial products is going to enable or would enable uh, uh, CFTC to oversee digital assets markets right now? 
That's a great question. And I think it's an important um, point that uh, I often bring up, and I think others bring up as well when when asked about why would the CFTC be an appropriate regulator um, over these these markets. Um, anyone who has spent any time looking at derivatives, products, swaps, um, they were very complex financial products um, and the markets that they trade in are are complex. And that's what we do. We oversee very complex markets and contracts. And that's just kind of our bread and butter. So, you know, certainly we are used to seeing, we're used to seeing new and innovative um, trading in, in, in our markets where, you know, I, I think others, other agencies probably do as well, but not to the extent where ours is pretty fast moving. Um, we also are a principles-based regulator, which means we set out broad-based principles for um, our market participants and registrants to follow, and they can kind of fill in the blanks on specifics as long as they meet those overarching goals. What that means is we're a little bit more flexible um, and nimble. So. I think innovation is able to thrive in our markets, probably a little bit more so than in some of the more traditional markets, because we don't have this this bespoke regulations that you may see in other markets. Um, And, you know, the other thing that that we bring to the table that I often point out is we all of our markets are, are, are very global. Everything we do at the CFTC, we have to think and really um, interact with our, our global regulatory counterparts to make sure we're not somehow causing problems for um, the markets globally. So, you know, because digital assets are clearly global markets and there are so many global participants and it's something where, you know, you, you, it's crossing borders. Um, you know, you want a regulator that, that understands that dynamic and how to work within those, um, you know, kind of those associations with, with other regulators in other countries. So I think that's what we bring to the table. I know some people say that maybe our rules aren't strong enough because they're principles based. Um, but I, I actually think that having more prescriptive regulation in, in a, in a, in space where there's new technology and innovation is actually not as good of regulation because the regulation is always going to lag behind the innovation. When you have principles-based regulation, you are more technology neutral. And so it, it can keep up because you are looking at the overall, you know, kind of purpose and principle versus a very specific way that something needs to be done. So that's kind of the way I view it. And, and what I try to share with, you know, whether I'm t- talking to folks on the Hill or, or speaking publicly, it's what I try to explain to folks as to why the CFTC is, you know, would be an appropriate regulator of the digital asset spot market. 
Absolutely. And uh, I think this kind of brings us um, to our, I'll explain. <clears throat> we have created our uh, tree of Web3, which uh, we just launched recently. And I'm very excited as one of the co-founders of this campaign. I'm very excited about our tree of Web3 wisdom. And we have included there five branches to kind of guide our policymakers uh, thinking when approaching the regulation. And we'll touch on this. I mean, during uh, the rest of the conversation. But I would like to start with branch three, which refers or encourages uh, policymakers to classify tokens sensibly. And I think this is uh, probably one of the big principles that we have, but I think it, it, it definitely gets to the heart of that war of jurisdiction that you kind of referred a little bit previously between the CFTC, the SEC and the CFTC. Uh, if we were classifying this token sensibly according to the nature and according to the purpose of a token, do you think that would be helpful in creating that sort of regulatory framework that is going to move our industry forward? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's absolutely essential that we do create some sort of framework. Um, that is something I've, I've been trying to, um, when, when I'm talking to the legislative branch as they're working through different ideas, you know, I often suggest we can't ignore that first piece of this puzzle, which is a framework to classify digital assets. Um, you know, whether whether it's requiring the various agencies to sit down and do a joint rulemaking or, you know, coming up with a framework, framework through a working group, we really do need to give that market certainty to um, players in this space. You know, I, what's so interesting to me about digital assets is, you know, people, people want to say that's cryptocurrency, but it, it's anything, you know, anything can be a digital asset and, you know, helping, I think that the other kind of, important piece of a framework is to make sure people understand that even, you know, even if the regulatory structure, it, you know, is legislatively changed and one federal regulator is appointed as kind of the main um, regulator of the of digital assets spot market, I don't think that changes the fact that, you know, if, if say you register but then you want to offer a security that's clearly a security as a digital asset. That's not going to get you out of oversight by the SEC or other regulators. So, you know, making sure people understand that, you know, because these assets can be anything, they can transform as well. Um, giving people the certainty to know that, you know, if this is the asset you you are bringing to market, you know, here's how it's going to be regulated or who, here's who you're going to have to work with for regulation. And, and that's really step one. We could be doing that right now. Um, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen organically. I do think that, you know, it might take Congress telling us we have to, um, but we can, we can certainly do that with the SEC and, and we've done it before through joint rulemaking. Um, so it wouldn't be a new concept where there might be some overlap um, between where an asset falls between the two regulators. So I, I hope that's kind of step one in this process, that, that we come up with some sort of clear framework. 
Absolutely. And and I know that uh, there are so many questions about uh, DAOs right now. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the Uki DAO. I know you've been very vocal, actually, about this. And I always loved your feedback and uh, everything you had to say about this case, because it's such an important enforcement case. So how do you seek to to, to regulate DAOs in the future? I mean, do you, do, do you have any particular thoughts on whether or not developers should be liable and uh, especially as, as members of uh, DAOs uh, and those that uh, as we have seen from I mean this action so far it seems like those that simply hold governance tokens I mean it seems that the court consider them liable so uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Well I'm not afraid to admit that I don't have the answer but what I do know is not the answer is for an enforcement um, an enforcement case to tell us how we're going to look at um, these organizations. That's not the proper way to do this. So I've, I've encouraged the chairman and, and I would hope that we go through a rulemaking process where we say we put out publicly, how should you know asking the asking how should we regulate a, a DAO? You know how should they be held liable? Um, you know that gives us public input, allows us to go through notice and comment. It gives us a stronger legal standing because, and I I, I always have to be careful when I'm talking about the Uki DAO case because it's still active litigation. But I always I can talk about what I said in my my dissent, and my dissent was surrounding the fact that. We were we were using a state unincorporated association, um, you know, law that we kind of just decided fit, and that's how we were going to look at the liability moving forward. And to me, that's bypassing a lot of important steps that ne- that need to happen um, to provide pro- proper public notice of how we're going to consider liability. What's very hard here is, um, especially in this case, is it, clearly they're violating um, our act. They they were, you know, offering um, off, they were offering trades in in a product that was a violation of our act. The two gentlemen that we settled with initially, um, who kind of started this, actually said they were going to create a DAO and transfer kind of the the governance so that they it could be kind of um, CFTC enforcement proof. So it it's a very uncomfortable situation because there's a violation, a clear violation, and clearly somebody intended to set this up in a way to try to avoid being held liable um, under our governing statute. But to me, that doesn't mean we just find a way to make it happen. We we really do need to go back and say, okay, how are we going to consider, you know, DAOs under our statute? How are we going to hold them liable? Mm-hmm. And the best way to do that is through notice and comment um, rulemaking. And and we can do that. We can use our current statute. We don't we don't need legislative authority to do that. That's something we could do right now. Um, and it's something I keep suggesting and, and pushing for, because uh, I do think we're going to see more cases like this. And um, we just need to make sure the public is on notice of how we're going to consider um, those who are involved 
um, with the DAO, whether it's token holders or um, those who are, are trading through that that's system. Um, people deserve to understand their liability going forward. Absolutely. And it, I mean, just to reemphasize again, I'm a big fan of, of your dissent. So thank you so much for all the knowledge that you drop in these dissents as well. I think it's very important for our industry, especially for myself being general counsel of a decentralized and centralized exchange. And I know that we have spoken, uh, and, and I, we're not against the regulations. So we appreciate the regulators just helping us out there understanding these principles. I'm just curious to hear from your perspective uh so do, do you think that, or i would be curious whether or not crypto firms are going to be able to get any cftc licenses in the future i mean so far i think it's ledger x but do you have any sort of prediction on that or what the cftc is going to be looking for yeah i i think there there's a lot of interest um and there's certainly a demand for derivatives products based on um, cryptocurrencies. And and those contracts actually exist at a number of our current um, exchanges. But we are seeing crypto companies themselves come into our space. Some of it's through acquisitions of existing um, registrants or um, new applications. So, you know, what it will look like you know, there's kind of two ways to go. So one is the, what we call the intermediated model, where we have what's called a, a futures commission merchant and FCM, who really does a lot of the kind of front end, you know, onboarding, making sure that the the customer is able to, you know, goes through the, the you know, AML, KYC process, you know, understands that these are risky markets, has the margin um, and the capital to to really uh, take positions in these markets, and you know has the disclosures that are appropriate um, to participate in the futures markets, and so that's one way that that we'll see um, crypto come through kind of our door. So it'll be a very traditional model where you know they they have maybe they're going to be the the exchange or the clearinghouse, but they're going to have these FCM players be the way that customers access that clearinghouse. Um, and that right now is really the only option if they want to have margin transactions. Now, the other way we are seeing it is crypto companies, and, and this is what LedgerX has, you know, you can have these crypto derivatives and you can have direct access to the customers, but it has to be fully collateralized. So you're, you know, you you're holding the full amount of capital for for that position, um, and that's you know that's hard. <laughs> it's it's something that you know there's not as much demand as we are seeing um, for the leveraged transactions. Um, and so that's why a lot of companies are looking at how can we do this through the intermediated model so we can provide leveraged transactions to our customers. Um, but it brings up a lot of interesting issues, you know, because of our core principles and because they were they were created and based on a, a very different system, we, we see a lot of um, vertical integration now where you may have one entity that's, you know, 
the parent company that's running a crypto exchange who now has a DCM license, wants to be a clearinghouse, and also wants to be the intermediary. And we have to ask ourselves, how is that going to work? Um, because the, especially with the clearinghouse, they have some self-regulatory responsibilities. And so you have to ask, okay, how does that, how does that entity regulate itself essentially in the market? Um, you know, what protections are in place and, and are the current, current, you know, guidelines really address that. And I think that's something you'll see us talk about a little bit more at CFTC. You'll see us, um, probably, put something out requesting some input publicly on this matter um, because it is a trend that we are we are definitely experiencing and it's it's new and and just not new is not bad um we we like new but it's it goes to that responsible side where you know it's a new model is great as long as we are comfortable that we can you know that it can work responsibly and that we can regulate it in a way that is protecting the customers um, and ensuring that they are not being harmed by, um, by this vertical integration. Absolutely. This makes perfect sense. And I appreciate the fact that you are going to consider also some comments from from the public. Uh, and I know we're kind of running out of time, but I would love to hear your thoughts. Let's talk a little bit about global coordination, because that's a big part of branch uh, or element five or item five of the tree of wisdom for all uh, explains, which encourages. And I think this is very important for all the policymakers all around the world You to kind to think globally, to, uh, I know sometimes we try to compare where we stand from an innovation perspective here in the United States, but honestly, I mean, we're very happy to, uh, to, to not only support innovation here, but we appreciate all these efforts, especially from CFTC recently and, and other regulators in order to support us in this uh, uh, march toward innovation. So what do you think about this firm or, or some of the first principles that you would have regulators in different countries to kind of concentrate on? Or are there any some sort of first principles that you would uh, highlight or you'd like to highlight for yeah, us? Yeah, absolutely. And, and and it has been very interesting. I've done some international travel and I've, I've met with some um, regulators across the globe and crypto is what everybody is talking about. And everybody's kind of in the same boat where, you know, they're just trying to find the right regulatory structure to make sure that the markets can continue to uh, thrive, but that people are protected and they're not going to, um, you know, lose their money and have, you know, have it all disappear overnight. So it's definitely a, a global issue that everybody's looking at and trying to address, you know, in a way that that allows these markets to continue to thrive. You know, I think one thing I always try to, you know, encourage other regulators or that I've, I've said works well for us is obviously principles-based regulation, as I mentioned before, having some, you know, structure, but not prescriptive rules because prescriptive rules just can't keep up with the innovation and the technology. And you're going to, the rules are either going to fall behind creating gaps or, you're going to keep some of the best um, innovation out of the market because the rules are too prescriptive. So principles-based regulation, I think, is an important 
principle, not regulating the technology, you know, regulating the activity um, is another one. Um, and, and this is something we deal with in the, the futures markets as well, but protectionist policies, you know, understanding that these are global markets, this money needs to be able to flow freely throughout the throughout the globe. And, you know, when one country puts regulations on these markets that are protectionist or, um, you know, trying to bolster the market within their home country, uh, you end up with market fragmentation. And that, to me, is is a unnecessary risk. You know, part of having global markets is understanding the global size and the uh, impact. And if you start fragmenting these markets, then you, you never truly understand the size of the market and the risk of the market. So I think, you know, we have to be careful not to um, be too protectionist and, and cause market fragmentation. And I think the last thing is just promoting kind of responsible innovation that's free of fraud and manipulation. So as long as there are bad actors out there taking advantage of customers that continue to kind of give this, um, you know, give the industry a bad name, I don't, you know, it's hard to move forward from that. So as much as possible, trying to weed out the bad actors, the people who are trying to take advantage of people, um, going after those individuals working together, again, you know, coordinating as regulators to find and um, weed out the fraud and manipulation. Uh, That's going to be key to ensuring that we have kind of long-standing success in in the digital asset markets. Absolutely, Commissioner Mersinger, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. It's a real honor to have you on our second podcast, actually, for our explains. And uh, I really appreciated all your input, all your feedback, especially all your knowledge. I'm a big fan of yours, as you already know. But thank you so much for joining us today. No, thanks for having me. Um, I love what you guys are doing. I love the tree of wisdom. Um, so I'm I'm happy to be a part of this, and I look forward to seeing what the third, fourth, and fifth, you know, beyond podcasts, um, what they bring. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so so much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed our Hootenanny. Thank you for listening. For more hopeful and hype-free resources, visit owlexplains.com. There, you will find articles, quizzes, practical explainers, suggested reading materials, and lots more. Also, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn to continue wising up on blockchain and Web3. That's all for now on Owl Explains. Until next time.